Hey, everybody. Before we dive into today's episode on Evolve, I just want to make a quick announcement that the next couple weeks due to the holidays and honestly me just not getting some interviews scheduled out during those times, um, we are going to take a short momentary break. So we have today's episode. There will not be an episode on the 24th, which is Christmas Eve. Go spend it with your family. Don't be listening to this podcast. Um, and then on the 31st, there also will not be an episode. So those two weeks, taking a break, and then we will return back on Tuesday, January 7th of 2020, the new year, um, with some ex- exciting new interviews. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in and listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover, and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world, and we always will be. So with this show, I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together, let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is employee number one and chief community officer at the fastest growing B2B company in Silicon Valley's history. Going from beta to unicorn status in six months, Rex has raised a total of $382.1 million in funding and been backed by the juggernaut co-founders of PayPal, Max Levchin and Peter Thiel, Y Combinator, Ribbit Capital, and many more. But the foundation of this fintech rocket ship has a linchpin woman who is deeply involved in the early iterations of this massively growing company. Knowing no task was beneath her, she has worn every half from recruiting an international workforce to developing disruptive sales strategies and even helping with financial modeling before Brex even had its first customers. Creating a dream team and highly sought after workplace, which is labeled as number five in the top U.S. companies to work for right now by LinkedIn. She was Brex's first recruiter for technical engineers, first full-time salesperson, grew the team for customer support, and now works in growth and marketing in order to spread Brex's mission. However, her world did not start out in the limelight of the San Francisco tech scene. Her humble beginnings were in the rural state of Brazil, daughter of a sugar mill supervisor, where she had a dream of being the first person in her state to attend a university. Clearly driven by the dedication to work hard, she was accepted to Harvard, where she studied economics under the mentor to Sheryl Sandberg, Larry Summers, and she served as president of the Elliott House and president of the Brazil Conference, where she interviewed and engaged with countless world leaders, including Warren Buffett. Leading by example to empower the next generation of leaders, she's been featured in Business Insider, The New York Times, Y Combinator Startup School, Founders Embassy, and countless Startup Weeks accelerators and panel discussions across the country. I'm honored to welcome the number one employee of Brex, Chief Community Officer, and a woman who claims her spirit animal is a bee because it's one of nature's most hardworking creatures, Larissa Roca. Thank you so much for the very kind words and for having me today. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, I'm very excited to dive into your story and um, about Brex. And where I'd actually like to start is um, about you growing up in Brazil. Um, your family was in sugar production, um, but at the age of nine, you wanted to study economics at Harvard. So why did you have this goal and how did you figure things out to achieve that? Sure. So uh, I'm from the state of Alagoas in the northeast of Brazil. That's okay. uh, you know state known... Uh, 
you know, uh, very known for for the production of of sugar from sugarcane. This is actually what my family has been involved in and working on since they first came from Portugal in 1535. So that wow. was definitely a, a strong DNA within the family and something I'm very proud of. Uh, but when I was about nine, I had a conversation with an uncle and then a separate one with a teacher as well. And that's when I learned about the, you know, some of the best schools in the world. And Harvard mm-hmm. one was, was one of the names that came up. And I kind of put that in my mind and kind of made that my first big dream uh, when I was pretty young. So. Um, you met Enrique and Pedro back in Brazil during the study foundation pro- program. Um, and they, you were going to Harvard, they were going to go into Stanford. How did that initial relationship unfold and wanting to work and build something with them later? Yeah, so Enrique and Pedro were, as you mentioned, I met them on this program. We're both scholars of, it's called the Study Foundation or Fundação mm-hmm. Estudar in Portuguese. And one of the programs that they offer is a, uh, it's called a prep program. It helps Brazilian kids prep to schools in the United States because it's such a different process from what we as Brazilians are used to. And we met, I had just been accepted to Harvard and they were applying to Stanford and Mm -hmm. they already had their first company up and running in Brazil. It was Pagarme, which is sort of the equivalent of Stripe there. And it was doing really, really well. They were only 18, 19 at the time. I thought that was very impressive what they had built. Um, And they sort of thought it was interesting that I was, you know, sort of able to be the first person from my home state to be uh, accepted to Harvard. We connected and, uh, uh, you know, eventually reconnected towards when, you know, the end of my my undergrad program. Mm -hmm. And what was it in the things that they were telling you or when they first reached out for you you to work with them that inspired you to, to do that? So... I was, you know, tech was not an obvious passion to me. It was never really something I was super exposed to uh, until then. And I actually had my in- my summer internships. All of them were on, you know, large consumer goods companies. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting. And I had, a, you know, learned a lot, had a lot of fun during my summer internships. And I was actually going to work at one of them after I graduated. And one month before I graduated, we connected because Enrique came to the, the, the one of the conferences that I used to organize, the Brazil conference, as I described. And we, we were catching up and he said, I said, yeah, like I heard you sold Pagarmi and you're at Stanford now. How's school going? He said, well, it's not really going. Uh, and told me the story that three months later, they had dropped out of school already and were mm-hmm. at Y Combinator with an original idea on originally their idea was uh, virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they really wanted to do something on the cutting edge of technology and thought that VR was really the big industry to be in. But once they were at YC, they realized two things. One was a very important question that uh, they asked themselves, which I now share with with founders because I thought it was 
super interesting insight, which is something that com comes side to side with product market fit, which is team market fit or founder market fit. Right. So they ask themselves, are we sure that we are the ones to build the next, you know, huge impactful company on VR? Uh, mm -hmm. We don't really have a lot of experience. We would be competing with people like Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, who has lots of people and lots of dollars to throw uh, at the challenge, right? And so uh, they, at the, around the same time, they were realizing that maybe they wouldn't be the right ones to do that, to build that next huge VR company. They also identified a huge gap on payments for early stage startups, which is startups. And, you know, they were immediately looking at their uh, YC batch for winter 2017 and realized that even companies that had funding in the bank couldn't get a credit card because mm -hmm. banks require a financial history, which doesn't make any sense. The company just incorporated. They right, don't right. have <laughs> a history, let alone a financial history. And at the same time, these this startups, they need a credit card, not because they need credit because, you know, they already have a little bit of funding, but because around 50% of their monthly expenses require credit card. It's travel, it's software, right. subscriptions, all of that. So it's really annoying that banks would require a founder to put a personal guarantee. Uh, you know, their FICO scores being lowered. If their business can't pay the bills, their assets are on the line. So they're like, you know what? Let's start with this problem, you know, and it's a big enough market that eventually we will be able to do other really cool things. But let's solve this problem problem for startups. And, you know, it's also a market that they were very used to coming from fintech in Brazil. So mm -hmm. they pivoted to, to, to credit cards and they were starting, that was, you know, back when we connected was around April 2017. They were telling me about the story and said, you know what, if you want, you should come and join us. You're, you know, uh, used to go figure out things quickly. You figured out from Alagoas sort of how to make your way into school in the U.S. We think you can kind of learn quickly and, and contribute. So come come be our first hire. And this is um, how, how it all began. Yeah, and you wore quite a bit of hats as you guys were starting out. So what were like those first 100 days for you as the first employee? That's a great question. I, I love asking founders, like, well, what were the first 100 days like? That's uh, always a, an interesting story to hear. To me, uh, Brex was, you know, at the time called Beyond because of mm -hmm. the, it was supposed to be Vision Beyond and it was the VR company's name. But mm -hmm. we didn't worry about name until later on. We had lots to build, lots to worry about. And they had already raised a Series A in March when I came on board. And they we didn't have customers yet. So one of the very first roles was working closely with Michael Tenenbaum, who we were in the process of hiring as well, who today is our CFO and ran a lot of the go-to-market strategy for Brex since launch and new verticals like e-commerce and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So amazing person to learn from and work with. And we were really trying to understand how much startups spend, how often do they raise the next round, what would be a model of credit and risk and that would work for them. And uh, this is, you know, a lot of what the early days were. Uh, that being said, you know, we were at Enrique's house in a small <laughs> room. We kind of had like 
a, like a sort of like a small office space. We we uh, had a, uh, I don't know if that's the, the right term, but a curfew. So we at a certain time at night, we had to leave because now the roommates were kind of tired of us and mm. right, rightfully so. So eventually I had to go and be the office manager as well, go find an office right on top of everything I was sort of already doing go find our own office, which was in 580 Market Street, super kind of simple space. Uh, we, I had to make sure the snacks were replenished. If we had an important meeting or board meeting, I would organize the room. And, you know, uh, oh, you always have to wear many hats because like three, four people, everyone has to, to uh, step up and, and do different things and take on different roles. And that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, so Brex is building the next generation of B2B financial services. But what is it about this mission that has really personally fired you up to stick through Brex's iterations and continued growth? I'm very excited and everyone at Brex is very excited about being empowering through better financial services that starts from the underwriting and to the tooling to empower the next generation of entrepreneurs and this next generation of, of wealth in America, uh, you know, uh, productivity and etc. you know, just look at ourselves coming in, starting off Brex. We couldn't even get a credit card, even despite having some funding already. And this is the reality for many, many entrepreneurs out there. And not only on access to the card, but the actual day-to-day of card, of cash management turns out to be a big hassle. Sometimes mm-hmm. you do something simple, you spend a lot of time online, or you even have to go to the bank. And this is taking the most precious resource that entrepreneurs have today, which is their time. Right. And this is something we feel very strongly about. And we have been keeping the customer top of mind. Uh, we're lucky that we are this sort of target market that we are trying to serve. So learning from our own uh, experience as well and working very closely with our customers to understand how can we make financial services be, you know, come from being an obstacle and something annoying and that time consuming to being something that is actually empower startups and companies to do more. And, you know, it started off with the card for tech companies, very simple, whatever you have in the bank uh, as a startup, we give around 10, 20% of that as a limit. The interface works a lot better. For example, you don't have to do additional applications as you are onboarding new customers, sorry, new employees, right? Imagine Mm -hmm. you have 10 employees joining this month. Imagine having to do different applications for each of them. We make it so that it's a simple email invite, you as the admin or whoever else are admins as well can choose the limit, can block cards, can issue new cards very easily. This just was one of the examples. We came in solving the problem of receipts as well. So everyone's kind of like a nightmare, have to keep receipts and upload <laughs> them manually. You know, if Brex, you swipe the card, get a notification, reply with a picture of your receipt. You don't really even need to open your app or anything if you don't want. You can do it all by text. And the system finds the matching transaction for that receipt. Um, and we, you know, just solving these pain points and making freeing up time by making lives a lot easier. Then the, the, the making the day-to-day of an entrepreneur a lot easier. Then the other, you know, example, we 
observing the needs that we weren't yet uh, fulfilling with the first product, we came to the e-commerce vertical. And we realized that, you know, sometimes these e-commerce companies, they don't necessarily raise money, but they have revenue, right? And uh, Mm -hmm. they are buying goods and selling goods and they use the card more for their operations than just T&E. So they buy inventory with the card and they won't sell until many days later. So a float on payment would be very helpful for them. And because our entire infrastructure, financial infrastructure was built from scratch, uh, you know, that's instead of using off-the-shelf processors like the banks do, we were able to build something that worked very well for e-commerce which gives them a limit not based on cash in the bank, but based on average monthly sales and gives them instead of the 30 standard sort of statement period to pay, like the startup card, it gives them 60 full days to uh, to pay back with no interest. And that is that has been very, very helpful to a lot of companies on, on the e-commerce vertical as well. Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things that you guys are doing is that underwriting process. And um, you guys just went into the vertical of life sciences as well. So what uh, what other verticals are you guys looking at in the future? So uh, we are working on other verticals. I won't tell you right now, but you will <laughs> learn very soon about a new vertical we have and we're very excited about. Uh, it would be like our we're already on our, our, our you know a fourth vertical. You'll learn more in Q1. But we, the, the latest one that, that we, we, we did after e-commerce was life sciences. And one example of, you know, what we built sort of special for them is the, the points or the cashback is higher for categories of spend that matter to them, like lab supplies and conference tickets and things like that. This is the philosophy as we go into new verticals to really deeply understand what would be the a standard, the gold standard for a credit card financial service for that group. And then we build that. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the building of Brex. And I believe there's uh, three core skills that every founder and leader needs. Um, One is holding and always delivering the vision. Two is assembling and championing a team to execute that vision. And then three is obtaining and securing resources to execute that vision. So during the early stages, you were actually doing recruiting and now are the chief community officer. So how do you communicate the vision of Brex to potential hires and to customers to inspire them to be a part of Brex? Yeah, so alignment is key, right? You said it, you put it very, very well, especially as a company is growing. Everyone needs to be aligned on where we're going and feel responsible for getting there, for, you know, helping Brex get there. And this is true on, you know, from the onboarding process, we put together, we spent a lot of time putting together a new hire onboarding process where we expose everyone to our vision, to our long-term vision. Uh, We, you know, give an overview 
on how the business operates. We give an overview on how payments works and how the networks, which is a Visa or MasterCard, interact with the acquirer, interacts with the issuer and where Brex falls in each one of these sort of categories. We, we make sure everyone uh, gets a good understanding of the business as a whole, starts there. Then we have the sort of maintenance of that. We have an all-hands meeting. Most companies do, but we always make sure we are repeating you know, our uh, vision and we are sharing very important updates about different areas. We encourage everyone to attend this meeting in person. And we have offices now other than the Bay Area, like Vancouver, for example, Salt Lake City, for example. And we make sure the audio is working great and that everyone's really taking this time to be together and, uh, you know, for to generate that alignment. In terms mm-hmm. of vision, uh, sorry, in terms of values, that's something we really, really care about. Um, you know, when it comes to what is the right culture, I don't think there is one, only one right answer. Different cultures will work for different companies, but we were always very intentional about ours from the beginning. You know, we, we hesitated to just write something and put it on the wall. We really wanted to understand from those first people joining what what they thought were was Brex, right? And what we mm-hmm. could aspire to be and what were traits that were non-negotiable for us. And that's when we came with our set of values that, you know, that was a lot of work and revision and input from everyone and surveys. And now we have five values that I'm happy to share with you. One is dream big. So we want people who are here for this dream, right, and are here to to build this sort of vision that that we have with Brex and that I shared with you as well earlier, uh, and who are you know excited and ambitious for themselves and for the company, right? Who wants to do things big and are not, are not afraid to like take those risks. So that's sort of mm-hmm. three big. Two is owner's mentality. Uh, there's no such thing as not your problem. Uh, we're all mm. here in one boat. If you see something broken, go and you know make sure it gets fixed. Uh, let's all really own our you know the success of a company as a whole and not just your specific area. This is something super important. Um, two, uh, three is be a fixer. So it's find a way, right? In the the startup world, especially in the beginning, there will be 1,000 reasons, 1,000 factors telling you to stop. And (laughs) you want that person who, of course, will like do things ethically, but will not stop at the first or second or third note. We feel really strongly about that. And you can tell, right? When you're meeting with someone about like a challenge you're working on, you can tell if that person's like try everything they can and figuring out a way or if they're like well like it's not really my fault you know this and that happened not really on on my control so that's be a fixer then we have seek truth uh especially in sort of you know a technical business like financial services it's really really important to understand well how things work because this is how we can change them. Uh, you know, we 
when we were in, mostly Enrique and Pedro, the founders were researching in the beginning why nobody really loved their corporate credit cards and why it worked this way and not that way. Uh, a lot of people just kind of took it as a given and as a reality that that's how it works. And they went further than that and tried to understand, okay, but what is the what are, what is the really like truth behind how everything works? And mm-hmm. where are the pieces where we can really change and disrupt this industry? So seeking truth, uh, get, getting to the root cause of a problem or, you know, a... Uh, uh, or a process or whatever is key here at Brex in every single department. And five, our most important uh, value, which is customer focus. You know, we the, co-found, the founder of Walmart used to say that there is only one boss uh, and that's the customer and they can fire your all your team of geniuses or all of your team in two seconds by just choosing to spend their money somewhere else. So this Mm -hmm. is who we kind of come into the office and and work hard for every single day. These are our values. Mm -hmm. How do you guys approach finding and hiring dream team members that really fit with these cultural values as well as the work capabilities that you need? Great question. So, uh, Sort of also to complement my, my question before a little bit, one of the ways that we are always, uh, first of all, we think hiring and building a, a world-class team is not the job of recruiting only. It's all of our jobs. And we make that very clear in every single weekly all-hands meeting. We love when people give referrals. You know, a lot of most of our funnel on recruiting today is actually driven by referrals. And we okay. don't have we don't give any monetary incentive or anything like that. It's just purely, you know, the recognition and the sort of like owner's mentality value echoing. And mm-hmm. on our all hands meetings, we always review all of our values every single week. And we pick one person out of the company, like, you know, there's submissions, anybody can submit someone. And we will get one person who was outstanding at one of these values. And this is a way to continue to reinforce what our values are and to show examples in practice as well. And, you know, part of this uh, comes with a pretty high rate of referral. Uh, Great people know other great people. They Mm -hmm. either live together or worked previously at a company together. They live together or they went to school or something. So it's, you know, I can't stress enough how beneficial this sort of culture of referral uh, has been for Brex. And we have, you know, we, we early on started building our recruiting team. We were you know, then looking for people who had done it at other companies very well and who could bring sort of that knowledge as we do this on in scale. But these are a few of the things that we do. Yeah. And how do you keep um, these people motivated, especially like in the early days when there might have been little traction going on? So in the early days, it was a different story. We were actually on stealth for one year. We weren't searchable. We mm-hmm. were, you know, nobody knew who we were. And lots of, nobody wanted to really work for us if they didn't specifically know someone there or knew Enrique and Pedro and et cetera. So 
I actually was one of the recruiter back in the time mm-hmm. for the simple, I, I'm not, I'm far from being an, an expert or anything like that, especially when it comes to technical recruiting. But uh, at the time, we really, really, really needed front-end engineers. And that's, you know, for a few months, that was my job to go and find. That's an interesting story. So I was doing what I sort of, you know, asked around and, and knew other people were doing, which is sending LinkedIn messages, sending <laughs> emails, spending lots of time looking for these people on LinkedIn. And, and this wasn't really working because people are like, what is beyond? No thanks, right? At the time, that's what we were called. Uh, so we came across this guy who had done, was an introduction from one of our investors. And he had done, he, he was like a senior talent person at Palantir. And he came in to help us. Eventually, he liked the company so much that he came in-house. But he said, you guys are doing it all wrong. You know, can, like he said, you won't imagine the amount of emails and LinkedIn messages engineers in the Bay Area receive every day. Why would they pay attention to yours especially given you aren't even searchable on, mm-hmm. on, on the web, right? So we're like, okay, good point. He said, here's what we're going to do. Because we didn't really have a problem of, once we got a person through the door, we were compelling enough that they would agree to another coffee or to another interview. That wasn't really the issue. The issue was on the top of funnel, which is a lot of the times the main uh, thing for, for these companies, for lots of early stage companies like we were. And we, he said, here's what we're going to do. Instead of writing 1,000, uh, you know, LinkedIn messages or generic emails, let's focus on 200 or 300 very well-written, handwritten letters with the, you know, the specific background of that person. So make sure you're selecting candidates. We, you were you would be really excited to kind of get through the process and work with. And then, you know, he kind of got some help and helped us put together those letters. And that increased the amount of people interested by a lot where, you know, instead of saying exactly what it was, it kind of made it sound a little bit more uh, mysterious. And the project itself was exciting. We already had some very exciting investors. And then more people, way more people than the original LinkedIn and, and emails, uh, LinkedIn messages and emails were now agreeing to come meet with us and, and get mm-hmm. in the process. So this was like a piece of sort of creative uh, solution that uh, we learned back in the day. Um, tell me a little bit about how you ex- you guys were expressing the vision to funders when you first started and what's the unique way that your team was pitching Brex that allowed you to secure that $382 million? Yeah, so, yeah, you know, there's a lot that goes into that and we, a big portion of it is about the team. So back to team market fit, <coughs> Um uh, sometimes ideas don't really work because it, the team is not really the right team to work on that. So every single time, Enrique is obviously kind of the main person that, that handles fundraising at Brex, and he's incredible at that. Uh, and he spends at least 50% of the time talking about the team and mm-hmm. why that team is the one that is going to build this next, you know, huge company on on 
at, uh, in our case, financial services. And part of why we, you know, wanted to raise uh, as early as possible and continue to do so is to continue to be able to bring on board this, you know, very talented team and at the time, especially more kind of senior experienced uh, executives that would bring us the know-how and the credibility to navigate the space. So I was, you know, I was kind of came from college to figure things out, but the two main hires I would say from the beginning were our CFO, Michael Tenenbaum, who came from SoFi and he was the chief revenue officer at SoFi. He had seen SoFi on a scaling phase and he was crucial on the cost and revenue side of the business at a, another huge fintech. And he was coming in to build that from scratch with us. We had then right after Michael, Vince Kogan, who is our general counsel, right? The head of legal. And he was the second lawyer at Stripe and was worked at Silicon Valley Bank as well. So ton of knowledge uh, and experience in that area. And being able to do these hires early on, which you know took a lot of time, obviously, and a lot of convincing and introduction for them to talk with investors and this and that, which by the way, really helps. Like whenever trying to make uh, especially kind of more senior hires, get your investors on board to help convince them, help talk to mm-hmm. them and share their view of why they chose to invest in Brex. Uh, that's something that I, I don't see a lot of people do and actually helped us a lot. And we were, you know, talking a lot about our team and just showing the vision that uh, banks can't really build, um, you know, the financial infrastructure in a way we think will better serve at the time that we thought would better serve these fast growing companies because they don't control their own technology. You know, that was sort of the biggest (coughs) thing we were showing them. They use these off the shelf processors that were built on the seventies and eighties and that, um, you know, they don't really have control over. And for us, instead of doing, using any of those off-the-shelf processors, we're going to build our own financial infrastructure from scratch. We were recruiting a kind of world-class team to do so. The founders themselves were second-time founders, had done a very successful fintech in Brazil. Uh, They're both, you know, with engineering backgrounds, self-taught. But Enrique eventually went way more to the business side and Pedro continued to be way more the the technical founder. And he also has a very impressive story. When he was 12, he did the first jailbreak of the iPhone 4 in the world and et cetera. So it was a combination of showing uh, the strength of our team and, you know, the founders and the team that we were building and this vision and showing that even though it's not, you know, it's, I won't say it's an obvious idea, but it's, I'm sure a lot of people have tried to do that before and have thought of that before, but it has to come with the right alignment, which Brex was showing of the technical expertise and the financial expertise combined Mm. 
working very fast to to bring that solution to the the, the ecosystem. Um, I think um, team is a huge part, and um, I think you were also a crucial part of that um, in the beginning, especially with the value of Brex of owning your work um, and the values that you brought to the team basically being, you know, so many different hats and doing so many different jobs. What were some of the values that you learned growing up, maybe in Brazil or um, as you came to America, that you brought to the work in Brex? One of them, and I, the, the especially the, the values of the dream big and owner's mentality is something that resonated a lot with me. Like uh, I've always also wanted to give my input and and. I first and foremost really admired the culture Enrique and Pedro had built at Pagarmi, and that's something that spoke to me. So I was always very aligned with whatever we already had going on there. But a few specific things are one of them is really the, you know, there's no, there's no such thing as too small of a task or, uh, you should do whatever it takes. Right. And that comes with that ownership mentality, uh, the owner of the bakery will go and buy flour or will go and, and make the bread if some you know if one of their employees is sick and can't do it that's what it come you do what it takes when it's really uh you know you you feel like the owner of that thing so that thing of wearing whatever hats are needed and performing whatever tasks uh will, will is the what the company needs at that moment something that has always been very top of mind for me. There's no such thing as I'm too good to do this or, or that. And that's really important. That's a very important mentality I actually look for uh, in candidates as well, especially on an evolving company. Um, you go through a lot of changes. So sometimes what you thought is going to be your role or your next challenge takes a different course and you need to be okay with that. So I think that that's definitely one of the things that I sort of brought in and, and continue to to tell tell the team, uh, you know, do what is best for the company. And that's how we all grow. That's how you will also learn a lot. Mm-hmm. For um, people that are becoming maybe first time employees um, to early stage startups, how do they show this to the founders? So I think you're saying like early high, uh, more junior hires. Yeah. So I think there's two things and this is, you know, when people ask me for advice, how can I learn fast and how can I grow quickly and whatever, that's what I say. One is, you know, repeating myself at this point, but uh, do whatever it takes, right? Wear as many hats as needed. But at the same time that you should be willing to do that, you should also try to become very good, like an expert as soon as possible in a couple of things. And the way that you're going to do that is not by relying on your manager or not by relying on just, you know, the founders to get that, that knowledge. The best people will try to get the knowledge from outside uh, and bring that to the company. Because if you're only relying on your manager and the, the founders and the existing team, then your company, the company and you will be sort of limited to knowledge the company already has. So... Mm-hmm. One example I give is uh, one of the things I did right after I, I was on sales back in the day was go do customer support. And I had to, I was the first person uh, 
in support officially. Michael was doing, you know, top of everything he did as, as a CFO. He was also uh, doing that. But eventually it was given to me to sort of build the support organization at Brex and build the standard operating procedures from scratch, build the, the tooling, not build the tooling, but uh, implement the tooling that we needed, hire the team, train the team, put the service level agreements in place. And I had no idea how to do that. Like I've never done it before. I never took a class on that. I don't think one exists. I've never, you know, I, I don't. So what helped a lot and of course, when I was asking, I got many no's, but I also got, also got many helpful yeses from people who had built or were very, very early on in the support organization of companies that were, you know, B2B and had done it well and were at a, already at a, a slightly kind of like late, a later stage than, than we were at the time and who helped a lot just by giving reviews. Okay, this tooling works best if you're doing this. This tooling works best if you're doing this. This is the profile you should look for. I know this person who is now looking for something new and is very good at support and this and that. So building that knowledge from the outside is something that I definitely, uh, you know, admire and recommend. Yeah, I think there's also a, a huge element of having the attitude of identifying, you know, problems that are happening inside the company and then um, taking the mentality of just to figure it out, whether you need to go find out re side resources or knowledge in order to do that. 50% of the leadership at Brex is actually female. And many of the hires um, that you guys have come from a diverse range of backgrounds. How has Brex supported this shift in diversity in tech and startups? So we, I know, sort of unconventional and already very diverse since our inception. We are founded by, you know, immigrant founders. Uh, I am myself uh, an immigrant as well. We today have our, our entire board of directors is first generation immigrant. And that wasn't by design that, you know, mm -hmm. we were... But I think because we have a diverse background from start and we have that sort of culture of referral, everyone sort of try, ends up bringing all different kinds. I'm not saying that we're perfect today. We always have lots to improve and diversity comes in many shapes and forms. And right. we were very mindful of that, which is something I'm very proud of because it's such a young company uh, and we already have that as like top of mind. But, you know, we're celebrate today that we are oh, 31 different nationalities and 30% uh, first-generation immigrant, 50% of women on leadership positions. And that's, uh, we're, we're very excited about that for sure. And how do you see this happening in other startups and inside the tech space that uh, dynamic shifting? So I definitely see that this is something people are caring more about. And I also see some uh, trend that it's not just the people team or the executive team. It's not coming from them. It's coming primarily from kind of bottom up and from all of the employees to kind of care about that, take the job of recruiting, right, and of bringing more people and diversifying the top of funnel on their own hands and, 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 and uh, helping drive inclusion on these other companies as mm. well on, in the Valley. Um, so this was actually your first job right out of college. 
And obviously you have no plan of Brex failing, but if it did, what do you think your next steps in your career might be? So I really don't don't think about that because I Brex is really my baby and that's where I, I want to be. And you can be sure that that will be, you know, it will take a lot for me to say, you know, if it were to happen that, that it failed. So I don't, I don't really think about it. But one thing that Brex taught me and brought to me was a passion and a deeper understanding for the world of tech, which is something I was never exposed to before. And that now I don't imagine myself working anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Would you ever consider launching your own startup? So I I tell this to everybody. I consider Brex my own startup already, Mm -hmm. even though Enrique and Pedro, obviously the founders being there from early on, you just create a connection that doesn't happen every day. So I I consider this to be my baby already. Mm. Uh, What other uh, challenges are you interested in or um, take part in? In terms of... Well, right now, like Brex is obviously tackling, you know, the financial challenge, but um, what other spaces have you taken part in? So there's a lot to do there still. Mm -hmm. It's a much bigger market than we immediately think about. And we want to continue to do what we already started very, very well. We and continue to improve, you know, Customer in mind, always, we're always chatting. We're always talking with the the, the customer. I still do my support shifts uh, at least once every other week. That's super important to keep that contact. Uh, Enrique and Pedro do shifts once in a while. And we just launched new things. We launched, for example, the Brex Cash, which is a cash management account. So now instead of the card for the different verticals, we were discussing companies can actually have their cash on Brex and earn some yield and etc. This is something we're also very pumped about and it's going really, really well, but we still want to make a lot of kind of improvements and, and this and that. So that's sort of the focus right now. Mm. And what do you, uh, very long-term, what do you see Brex being? I see, you know, more types of companies definitely being able to use Brex and benefit from Brex. That's a, a big vision. Um, and But, you know, today it's sort of very focused on tech and e-commerce and, and this, this vertical. I definitely want to see it. more types of companies and sizes of companies use Brex and these uh, growing companies to be able to continue to use Brex uh, We've never built Brex to be something companies need to switch out from. It's not just mm-hmm. for startups. It's something that is there to grow with your company and uh, be there at every, any, any stage uh, of that company. So that's another vision. I have very, very large companies are uh, way beyond the, the startup years using, using Brex. Um, so before I get to my last question, where can everybody find out more about you, more about Brex and everything that's going on? Yeah, so we have uh, Brex.com. We actually have a very cool, on the resources on the page, we have our blog where we've been pasting a lot of very cool content. I'm not just saying that because it's my biases. It's actually very, very, I learn a lot just by going there and browsing. Uh, back in the day, we were searching 
things like what is, how do I set up payroll for my startup? How do I find, how do I think about office space? How, and we compiled very, very good answers on those things based on our experiences and other founders' experiences. And we have that material available there. We also sort of use some aggregate data to understand, uh, to help give insights on cash burn of, you know, so, so companies can benchmark themselves and be helpful in that sense as well. So very interesting blog. You can definitely check that out. Well, my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? So I would say it's going back to that value of seeking truth. A lot of the times we are accepting things like they are because we're not like going as a society the extra mile to understand, okay, but why does this work this way in the first place? How can we, you know, fully understand that issue or challenge or whatever and change that on the, on the root cause? So I think seeking truth, understanding why is one of the ways that we can uh, change a lot of things for the better. Well, I appreciate that answer, Larissa, and I appreciate you guys and everything that you're doing for the startup space and empowering um, entrepreneurs. So uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and I look forward to connecting again. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.